Geography, founder of the British Blacklist. And I am here with, I, I'm definitely not going to introduce them because I'd like to leave my guests to introduce themselves and name their long list of achievements themselves. Because <laughs> then one, it gets me out of making a mistake and forgetting something. But also sometimes it's like, you know, that you might say, oh, ballerina, like, no, that's Wikipedia getting it all wrong. So <laughs> I would like my lovely, wonderful guest to, um, Introduce yourself, please. Okay, so uh, my name is Michelle Gale. I'm an actress, been in EastEnders, Grange Hill, currently playing Hermione Granger on the West End stage in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I'm a writer, a screenwriter. I've written three books also. I've written an author three books. And then I've written for Wolfblood and also um, A Discovery of Witches and I have a number of projects in development. On the writing, screenwriting front, I'm a singer. <laughs> I've had five or six top 20 hits, the biggest being Sweetness, and songwriter, and mother, and homeschooler. So, you know. I'm, I'm smiling from ear to the ear. struggle is real. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad. No, but it's not even the struggle. It's the fact that you mentioned everything. Because when you first, for the first minute, you were like, I'm, um, I'm an actress. And there was a yeah. pause. I'm like, there's yeah. no way this woman is going to try and tell me that that's, that's what she's going to say. So thank you for expanding on your illustrious career and achievements. Could you describe your life right now in either a word or a sentence? Juggling. I'm the founder of a charitable organisation called The World's Reimagined. And we're doing this uh, multi-city art project to educate and start a conversation rather than educate, I should say, educate and start a conversation about Britain's role in the transatlantic slave trade. So I literally will be writing, then I have a meeting with a mayor of the city or the government of Wales or, uh, so I am juggling. And then I'm homeschooling my son's maths and trying to remember improper fractions. So I'm juggling, but I will say that I've been working since the eighties. <laughs> on television like consistently and I will say I'm now in a position where every project I'm doing is something that I genuinely want to do that I'm passionate about and because of that I dedicate each my time to those sections that I'm working on so nobody gets shortchanged and I don't shortchange myself so now I only do things that I'm passionate about and I say no to most things to be honest. I mean that I literally was having a long conversation with some of my girlfriends yesterday and we're talking about the power in saying no mm. it's real but there's a journey to getting to being able oh to yeah I've only just learned I've learned in the last two years I'd say that I've learned to say no quite firmly I don't even know sometimes the projects that I like but I just know I don't have the time for because I'm, I've got these other passions and now I've learned to say no to people I like to projects I like that I just can't do I have my own opinion about why it's so hard to say no but why do you think it's so hard to say no why does it take so long to learn to say no I'm a black woman in the entertainment industry right so when I was at school I went to a stage school from the age of nine eight eight to nine Naomi Campbell was there Anna Santi was there Kwame Kweyamar was there okay so as you can tell a lot of the names that are are still prevalent now we're at my school and we always say the reason we learned to do other things was because of that school. I used to be sitting um, in class 
and the teacher would announce in the turnover, all the white girls aged between eight and 15 go downstairs. Now there's the only black girl in my class. And everyone used to go, bye Michelle, bye Michelle, bye. I used to sat there on my own, just, okay, I'll get on with my English. Like that's reality. But you know what? People say like eight or nine, that's a lot to take. That's the reality of the business. So I always knew I was going to have far less auditions and opportunities. And so when they came, I grabbed them, absolutely grabbed them. And I knew I needed more. Like, I know I can't just act. I better learn how to write. I better learn how to sing. I, like, I knew, I knew. Okay, first of all, Holly, I mean, what's your day like today, Michelle? I feel like I'm gonna to talk to you for 14 hours. I <laughs> because already I wanna dissect the fact eight or nine, you're in a class and it was like, bye. And did they actually say the words, can all the white girls go? Or yeah, 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 yeah. They'd say well, all the white girls but, aged between eight uh, and twenty. The, they would read the job spec. Yeah. The job spec would routinely be. Yeah. Wow. So I'd be left in the class on my own many times. Many, many, many times. Did you and Naomi and Amma and Kwame and the other black people in the school at the time commune together and be like, bloody hell, do you know what happened to me? Or would it just be without talking about it, you just lent on each other just by being visible? I think we lent on each other by being visible and we loved each other. And we knew, we, we had this understanding, we knew it's going to be harder for us. We just knew it. And so we supported each other to this day, like that bonded us forever. Paul Medford was also there. So it bonded us forever. But as you can see, I don't think it's a coincidence that we can all do different things, not just one thing, because we learned very quickly in that school that we're not necessarily going to get acting jobs or auditions even. So we knew we have to do other things. Yeah, we knew the reality of the industry. So I guess, oh God, I mean, how could you have known that you guys, because all of you have had significant achievement. Yes. What was the most surprising thing that strikes you about your journey when you reflect on your first acting job? And actually, I want to take it back to when you reflect on being the black girl left in the room after all the white girls have been called out and being around the room, knowing that these other black kids are probably going for the same thing as you were. What's the most surprising thing about where you are today? Mm. I think the surprising thing is actually that now that you reflect and I know there's a lot of people talking about dark skin, black women, don't get a looking. I can say that, that actually wasn't my experience. I never felt that being dark skinned would hold me back. And I think that's a big change to the feeling now. But in my, in my I started working in the 80s on Grange Hill. And I, I will say that I got a lot of endorsements eventually from the school, but also from people like Philip Headley at Stratford, Theatre Royal Stratford East, when I was 16, cast me a Cinderella at Stratford East. Um, and David Harewood, that's how I met David Harewood, he was straight up Rodden, we did that together. So I've had endorsements along the way from people and being dark skinned was never something that made me think, oh, do I need to be light? I, I, that, that was not something. And I was brought up in a household that never made me think it was something to be worried about as well. And so, um, Sometimes when I come across these arguments now, I have to really listen to the way sometimes the industry has turned. In that, because I, I remember seeing you on screen and probably Amma, but not realising it was Amma, and in music videos and stuff, there was a significant shift. I think it was up to the 90s. Mm. 
something happened in the 90s and early noughties where mm. it started to fade out but that yeah. was also being informed by america i don't know in in theater like i know we had a community of theater makers like the paulette randalls and mm. um and though that community of people that mm. was creating stuff so i don't know if there was anything going on in regards to casting for my things like that but i didn't think there was an issue necessarily about being dancing you're right i didn't in our day there was definitely if you're mixed race and we didn't say mixed race back then we did say half cast yeah there was like you had this special glow around you so you were special in that respect for the girls mm. however i never ever i had lots of visible dark skin girls that i was aspired to look like or be like or whatever because there was enough going on something shifted but it didn't affect your work ever and do you think that's because you were in the uk it didn't affect my work because by the time that shift had happened I already had my foot in the door and so people knew who I was so then that didn't I assume come into it but even with because I'd left my state school at the age of like eight when I joined Barbara Speak Stage School where I went to so I didn't even get the mixed race girl getting all the guys thing I, I never ever had that experience either I was in Halsden and boys were very much on me. <laughs> and so I never ever thought, oh, oh, you only got mixed race girls. Like I've, I've genuinely have not had that experience when I was growing up. It's only as I observe now that I speak to girls younger than me, you know, that I'm aunties to people, you know, like, and they tell me what's going on. And when they enter a room and who gets looked at and who doesn't get looked at. And that makes me like go, wow. I didn't have that experience. So I, there's definitely been a, a turn. Mm. And I, I think perhaps the um, the hip hop videos of the that we loved so much with the 90s and noughties kind of set that trend. But you know, it goes way, way, way back anyway, because I'm Jamaican and I know people used to always say in Jamaica, you can't get a job in the bank unless you are light skinned. So, you know, mm. let's not pretend that it's been in, in our history anyway, mm. um, it just definitely turned in this industry, I would say in the noughties, late nineties. Yeah, I, I definitely, I'm with you 100%. And I do think in the UK, because this is, th this is in the UK, maybe it's happening now, but there was a time where you would see dark skin women on screen for sure. The only thing that I would say that UK does very well, that the Americans in the American will do a black production and the dark skinned girl might not be the lead girl. She will be in the background or whatever, but yeah. it will be a black production, yeah. however, or a black show, black theme. However, in the UK, there'll be one. And maybe EastEnders might do well with having a black couple, maybe, but it was that it's either black person, an inter inter interracial relationship or no partner. But I'm going to tell you something that no one really knows, right? Mm -hmm. EastEnders, I asked for a black boyfriend. So initially, they were going to put me with a cast member who was white. And I said to them, the confidence of youth, do you know black people watch this show as well? Why have you always got to have mixed relationships? Blah, blah, blah. So I went into this big like rant thinking they're going to sack me now. And then they went, okay, we take your point on board. And they, and they got me a black boyfriend, which I was really like, wow, thank you. But yeah, I just said to them, you know, like this is always done. Whereas, you know, at home where I'm from, black people go to black people. Like, why can't you ever show that on the show? And they said, okay, we will. So I really respect them too for actually listening. I'm, I see my mouth is wide open because I, I <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, when I think back to black couples, like, hmm, Hattie and Clyde. In yeah. 
and then they're the all mature couples and if they are depicting a African family or a Caribbean yeah. family. You know the character was Steve. Clyde was my brother. My boyfriend was called Sorry. Steve. My bad. Mark Monero. Yeah, Clyde was your brother. Hattie and Steve. Yes. Yeah. And yes, and shout but out Mark. But Clyde also did have a Trinidadian girlfriend too. Yes, he did. Yeah. They took what I said on board, which I really respect at the time. I really respect them for doing that. No, I, I 100%, but then they kind of forgotten it along the way, or not just EastEnders, but then again, the, the tide turns. But okay, so you've covered a lot of ground when it comes to industries from acting to music to being an author, <laughs> to a screenwriter. So, mm -hmm. what was your first passion? So, I know you were in drama school. So, was it literally, I want to be an actress? And now I know that you had the foresight at the time, but uh, I need to get on and do all these other things. I would say my first passion was singing, as in that was the thing that I was told at school that I'm good at. I had this teacher called Miss Lutuzel, who phoned me out of the blue like three years ago, and I instantly cried when I heard her voice. And she gave me so much confidence. She decided, clearly right, she liked soul music and Bob Marley, and she decided, hey, this is going to be my project, right? So she always put me in the forefront, always gave me solos and always told me you can sing that you're good wow. she gave me so much confidence so within the class I thought I would be the singer and that um I had Lindy Layton in my class and she I thought she's the actress she can do every accent blah, blah, blah. and it was really funny because I got known as an actress and Lindy got known as a singer because she did um be good to me with yeah. Beats International she got to number one and it was like it was almost like a reversal of our roles in school but because the school was a stage school, we'd learned all the crafts, and so we could switch it up. And Grange Hill helped because the character I played, Fiona, the reason I always said the reason I got it was because she loved rap and I loved rap. Okay. And I had seen every rap act that had been in this country, Steps of Sonic. I've seen MC Light, you know, I've seen yeah. every rap act that's been here, Mantronics, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've seen every rap act at that time. Anyone who comes to this country, I'd seen them. Yeah. And so they just said, just give it a part. Like, she knows rap. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So it was more, I would say, the fact that I knew rap, to be honest, that I got that part. And then I learned, I would say I learned on sets because a lot of the people that I acted with went to Anna Cher, which was really known for improv and naturalistic acting. And I was in all of them. Those kids, man they could act their asses off. And I used to be like, oh my God, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. So I would say I learned to act on Grain Shill. So Barbara Speaks, Sylvia Young and Anna Shear at the time, right, that were popular or was? It was Barbara Speaks, yeah, Sylvia Young and Anna Shear. Anna so Shear, it wasn't a stage school that you went to all day. It was something that you paid for after school. Okay. And that's when you get people that were not necessarily had money to pay a long way, but were very, very talented. And she just taught them to act in this really naturalistic, believable, authentic way. And I just, I was in all of them. I was in absolute all of them. Just as an aside, was there any kind of snobbery between the schools or kind of rivalry between the schools? And also, was there anything like when you go to an audition and they see that you'd, which school you'd come from, was there a hierarchy of like, you know, if you're from this school, you definitely get more of a look. I think our school, was looked down on the most, really? I speak. Mm. I think it's because it's the cheapest one. Okay. And then Italia Conte, there was Italia Conte as well. Yes. Italia Conte was seen as the elite, elite, elite. 
and then yeah and my school was at the bottom and Sylvia Young was in the middle but we didn't care as kids it was more we just knew that was the hierarchy yeah the hierarchy but as kids we, we all got on and in fact I used to hang out go to Sylvia Young a lot and hang out with their kids and yeah so there was a comment under our socials when we shared about you writing for a discovery of witches and the person was like Michelle Gale Gale so are you often met with surprise when you reel off like your achievements when you say oh I did this and I did that are people surprised about how much you've achieved and what you're actually doing yeah people are surprised because I will admit I'm not necessarily banner waving yeah oh I'm doing this or do it. I, I kind I'm, I'm a person that gets on with the job and I like my work to do the talking or my body of work to do the talking so I admit that I don't necessarily promote what I'm doing now or whatever because I like to see be able to go this is the end product but but and maybe that's my own insecurity sure. of let me let me just see if it comes out let me see what the credit says like you know what I mean it's probably insecurity to be honest with you so I kind of get on with it and then see when it comes out then I go okay I've done this and then people are like how how yeah yeah, that was literally the comment. <laughs> it was like, Michelle, girl, 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 girl. And I'm like, yeah. So tell us about Discovery of Witches. How did that come about? Um, it came about because I had written for Wolfblood and I think they were looking for writers. I think it was the, the, one of the script editors at the time and they said, I've heard this off third hand, but someone has said, you know, we think maybe someone that's written for Wolfblood might be able to do this show because it's, it's a fantasy show about witches, vampires and demons. And Wolfblood, the show that I was in, I acted in and I wrote an episode for, was about uh, humans that turned into wolves. So it's fantasy, but, but really done. It's a very discerning producer in Jonathan Wolfman. So it's really done um, in a very stylistic and authentic way um, and about hu humanity at the heart of it. Um, and so, um, a writer I know, I don't want to name drop. Should I name drop? <laughs> I'm going to name drop. So, Jed Mercurio heard this conversation and he knew I'd written for Wolfblood. And Jed, Jed has kind of been mentoring me through writing a lot. So, um, Jed said, have you tried Michelle Gale? Because I know she went for Wolfblood and I know she works very hard. And, and so they asked for a script and I sent them a script um, I don't know if I'm allowed to, it's a project I'm working on called Single Black Female. So I sent them that script and they were like, come in, we like your writing. How, how do you fancy doing this? This is the episode we think you should write. Yeah. Um, and because it had like that human element of Diana being pregnant and kind of reacting to that in a way where she's no longer scared to use her magic because she's protecting her cup, you know, yeah. a very protecting that baby and so they felt that that would be a good episode for me to write how uh, well first of all tell us what discovery of witches is about in a nutshell and then how do you as a writer come in and put your stamp on something that's already got its formula its layout and it's the story's already written as it were but you've got to come and fit yourself into that space because you yeah. episode nine right yes so i would say so the the, the show is about um a witch called uh, Diana, who falls in love with a vampire called Matthew. And between them, there's, there's, a, there's an organization called the Congregation who do not believe in mixing of species. Mm. And, and the fact that these people may come together 
and and make babies or join in union in any way is banned, completely banned. And so there's this war, almost you know metaphorical in many ways, to kind of stop species. Uh, mixing and to break these two um, protagonists apart in any way possible and I would say that I have my own style of writing so it's really tricky to then slot into um, the house style of um, such a big show but right. the team the team are phenomenal and I've got to say Pete McTighe who was the head writer was brilliant and he would guide me and he would rewrite I mean I know that when I was off doing Harry Potter or whatever and I'd handed my script in it was like the in-house he would say Michelle I've had to update your script because you know um, on set we've had to change this this has happened and so it becomes very much a team effort for a big show like that and so I have to thank that that team because they hold everything together because my job is to deliver one episode their job is to deliver a series that makes sense across the whole spectrum and they were brilliant absolutely brilliant I, could, I couldn't have worked with better quality people what was the difference between writing an episode of wolf blood to writing something like this this is much more intense because mm. because of the budget <laughs> when you're dealing with millions and also this was an adaptation of a book so you also have to you have to make sure that everyone's happy it's got fans already and it's a real I would say it's, it's a beast, it's a monster. We say that about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, we call it the beast. And this show is very much that, it's a beast. It, it's, you need all these elements to make it work um, behind the scenes and on screen. And so what you find is the collaboration all the time and the back and forth, and it is hard. It's really, really hard, like loads of rewrites. But when you see the end product, yeah. You're so you're so happy, and you realise what that struggle was for. You see, so okay, in um, episode nine, don't say anything that's spoilery. But is there a part in it that you like? You can see yourself in there, or gives you the most satisfaction in the whole having this role and having this actual job and being completing it. I'm gonna be honest with you. I watched it like a punter because what happens is the magic and everything comes together, and it's it's so much better than you could ever have imagined in your head that yeah. you you actually gasp and so you do go oh wow oh yeah oh that works you know so you're more like a punter about the, the whole production element because to write for something that amount of budget yeah. um is just freaking yeah that's that's amazing yeah. and seeing your words come to life on screen that's I, I can't yeah and, and having people like alex kingston say your words yeah, these characters bring your words to life. It just, yeah. So you have been a musician. You were a top 20, top... I remember loving your sweetness. You had an impact on me. And I know that we had a conversation about some of the um, singers that have spoken up today about mm. their treatment of being a black woman in the industry. And though you said that dark, being dark skin wasn't a thing, but maybe being a black woman in the industry and, and in show business, business at a young age, what can you speak to some of the experiences that some of these girls have spoken about today, like Alexandra Burke and Misha B and the like, and Ray BLK, all spoke about being black women. They did touch on being dark skin, but in the music industry. And I think maybe for you being so young, starting out so young and having to go through these industries, 
because maybe it's like your thoughts on where what their experience is how it relates to your experience there was definitely a belief that black women don't sell records when i when i was making records there was definitely that belief there was definitely a nervousness about me having black dancers and it wasn't like i said oh i only want black dancers these are people that i knew on the scene who were good that i said right i know hustle and dean are the hottest thing right now Right, right, you look at you gushing, now I say that, right? Hudson and Dean, as you know, were the hottest thing at the time. I knew them, I grew up with them. So I was like, obviously, if I'm gonna have dancers, I want Hudson and Dean. But when you know the street culture and you're dealing with a company that have no idea of why that's important, it becomes a battle. And, and they didn't particularly want Hudson and Dean dancing for me, they thought it wasn't, Pop, you know, and so I, at every step of the way, I had battles with my, either my management or my record company. Every step of the way, there was never a point where I thought, "Oh, I can just relax now." There was always some kind of battle going on. It's really weird because there was almost a fear of what I'm saying by visually having black people behind me. Mm. Nice to say, oh, but. But Kylie has a whole black choir behind her. Yeah. Like I just just say it like that innocently, like n- no shade on it. So if Kylie's allowed to have a whole black choir behind her, why, why aren't I allowed to have two black kids? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, and then they go, hmm, yeah, that is true. Yeah, Kylie does do that. You know, it's kind of like throwing things out there for them to see. Do you realize like what you're saying? So that that's quite wily and quite smart because you because then it it kind of steers you away from being labelled as difficult and aggressive or troublesome or problematic because you're kind of Jedi mind tricking them to like oh actually pointing out their inconsistencies. There there was a point in my life I can't remember how old I was. That's quite young. So I used to be quite confrontational before. Can't you see this? And there's a point in my life when I think I heard somebody talking and I was listening to what they were saying and taking on board and then that person left and I think it's my a and he said he just what he said is absolutely rubbish here are the facts blah 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 and he had all the facts he had all the receipts right that yeah. disputed what that guy was saying so I said well why didn't you say that at the time he goes what's the point okay. I know the truth you don't need confrontation for the sake of confrontation like why would I waste my breath I know the truth and here's the truth and show me the truth and I went that's a good way of being because otherwise you're going to be arguing all the time so what I learned is pick my battles and when I present stuff I've dotted the i's and crossed the t's yes. so here's the evidence to back up that point you know point evidence explanation yes my god <laughs> like English comprehension we're talking about English I back it up with evidence like this is why I believe this because doesn't that and everyone goes it's so logical everyone goes yeah absolutely and the end and that's the end I mean that is perfect perfect advice because yeah you do learn that and then that leads into that feeds into the strength of saying no and feeds the strength of saying no but also feeds in the sense of people taking your views on board exactly because you've taken all the emotion out of it you've just been completely given the put them on the logical trail yeah, it's taking the emotion out of it, for it sure. Takes all the emotion out of it. You just go, blah, 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 A, B, C, D, and they go, yeah, that's right. 
so you you're, you said you've got lots of projects coming up um some you can speak about mm-hmm. some you can't, and which is great and I, I did want to point out that you were in um brothers and that was back in 2009 yes i loved the brothers one of the best and, jobs i've ever done see this is the thing created by angie lamar black woman yes black and starring chucky venn fantastic richard blackwood and in that black love black relationships created by a black woman back in 2009 then we had we had this dearth of stuff nothing's there and i feel like possibly now things are changing do you feel confident enough do you think that we'll get that uk black renaissance on screen again do you think it's coming hopefully i'm part of it but yes i'm going to be honest with you (laughs) i've been in tv for a while I cannot say I trust TV executives to necessarily make the right decisions, right? So I'm gonna be honest with you about that. I'm not sure I'm 100% positive that there's gonna be this big black renaissance, but what I do feel is that there's a movement. And if the movement keeps moving the way it is, it almost becomes untenable for the gates to be locked. Um, and so I think if we keep moving together, it won't necessarily be a, no one's doing us any favors. And that's yeah. the whole point. And we're not asking for favors, right? All we're asking is for parity, but, but it becomes a point where parity will be the only option because people are making their own moves. M- much in the same way that, that grime has became big once the people took control of it. Mm. Once they said, forget, cut you guys out, we know we know this industry, we know our music, and we're going to take control. It's huge. And I think much the same with the Black Renaissance in TV is there's a lot of very talented people who now know the industry very well and know how to move. And we, we move as, and many of us are moving as one, even if we don't realize it. Yeah. Do you feel like it's different? Because you have your careers spanned two decades at least. Five decades, I think. 80s oh, I, didn't, I, didn't to now. Age, I didn't want to age you. I just put two, just to be Yeah, well, I mean, well, I'm not 50 yet, but I mean, in the sense of that I've been working, I've worked in 80s, 90s, noughties, 10s, and now 20s. So in that sense, I've worked in five decades, but yeah. I'm not, I'm still 20 somehow. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and that's what I wanted to keep you as. But do you feel like it's different or have you been here before and just hoping that we'll push through a little bit? I think it's different because I think the young generation are holding their hostages okay, and cool. that's the difference. I cool. feel like they shout loud and proud and hard and they pull people up and because we didn't have Twitter in my day, right? So a lot of my battles, I couldn't really share them in a public forum, whereas people can now and that makes people much more aware, much quicker. And I think that's the change. The cultural shift is that if you don't get stuff done, we will get stuff done via Twitter or via Clubhouse or via our own avenues, via YouTube. And so in the end, the walls have to come down. Yeah, because we're forcing them down. Okay. Yeah. It will always be coming. It will always be coming from us. You know, the responsibility will ultimately lie with us to keep pushing because that is what's going to let people go. Okay, but I will say that there are some projects that I've written that I thought would never get sold as scripts because they're quite controversial that have been picked up and people are engaging in difficult conversations now in scripts and in programs, but they haven't been made. So it's just that, that next step of people going, okay, now we will actually make that. And, you know, Michaela Coles, I mean, come on. That just speaks volumes how good that show was on every level. 
and speaking on so many different, in nuance, yeah. which is basically what we want, right? Yeah. A little bit of nuance, having that on screen, I think that's a game changer. That level of nuance that she brought to the screen is a game changer. Most definitely. And you're an author and you're a literary agent. What else are you going to do, Michelle? Because seriously, are you going to become, a, I don't know, horticulturist? I, what else? What else is there? Do you know what? I'm so tired. I'm done with learning any more skills. I'm just going to cultivate the ones I have. And like I said, just work on things I'm passionate about. I think my final, just final thing is, what's made you sad, mad and glad this week? Sad? What's made me sad? A friend of mine died and I went onto her website um, to write a tribute wall. Simone. Yeah, yeah, heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Mm. So that's, that made me sad again. What's made me mad? Just the COVID deaths. And also this debate about vaccines. Like, I want my grandma to take the vaccine. I admit there are loads of different things around the vaccine, but I think everyone's got to make an individual decision. And it's like, my grandma's 91. She's got more chance of having a bad result from catching COVID then from catching the vaccine and she's got over 50 I'm one of 50 grandchildren wow. and none of us can see her and she's so upset that we can't see it because we're usually around her house so what's making me mad is the sense of I'm torn between like go and get this vaccine and all the other information that I get and it just makes me so angry that mm. it's not clear enough to the BAME community, the black community, the Asian community, it's not made clear enough why we are so nervous about taking the vaccine. Yeah, 100%. And what's made you glad? Donald Trump is gone. <laughs> well, happy inauguration day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm very happy that, um, that he's gone. And, and it just gives you hope that maybe that right wing kind of um diatribe will start to diminish mm -hmm. without his voice on <clears throat> social media like stirring it up and the people here following him and going yeah 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 we can say this because that's what's changed i would say is the 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 boldness of course the boldness of some of these races is unbelievable like behind these keyboards with these fake faces and they oh my god that's what's changed and um yeah and so anything that kind of starts making that go slide down the hill i'm very happy about well i'm very happy and very very glad that um, i spoke to you today and yeah amazing inspirational already learned so much i would speak to you for 14 hours and <laughs> make your kids not pass their exams oh well your son <laughs> Yeah. Like, I need the education. Thank you. I want the homeschool <laughs> from me, Michelle. But thank you so much. And thank we'll look out for all your other projects and possibly might see you doing horticulture for some <laughs> Who knows? Who knows, eh? <laughs> thank you. Thank you.